Hey everybody, we at Podgave Rock and Roll Do You want to make it clear that we don't mean any offense by our comments, critiques, or opinions. We're not music critics, just buddies that use talking about music as an excuse to hang out. Also, our language is intended for adult ears. Enjoy! Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out So amidst the torrential downpours that we experienced in Los Angeles this past weekend, it really was. It was like two days straight of rain. And uh, I even had to interrupt my Grammy viewing because when you live with a woman and two preteens and Taylor Swift is involved and Miley Cyrus is involved, you're watching the Grammys, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's owned in the house and we're all going to watch. And our man Billy Joel was on the, uh, right. on the Grammys. Played a new single, and then he actually was the closer at the end, which I missed because my neighbor had a flood, and they, of course, called me to help. I knew it right when the phone rang. I was just like, God damn it. Jumped into action. It, Your old experience taking care of condos and hotels. Exactly. Yeah. And I missed the album. I missed Taylor winning the album of the year. Come on. Poor guy. I mean, we did see some media about it, but I mostly heard, like, some of the people I listen to on podcasts like cracking jokes similar to the joke that you just cracked but in related (laughs) news we had a 60 degree day today in Michigan which was just outrageous that's the best that what is it it's February something (laughs) what's the thing you gotta build the wall for when everybody else starts running up to Michigan (laughs) damn right that's 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 for Trump 2025 2028 (laughs) the Michigan wall 2028, 20, Trump will be under the Michigan wall. Well, um, especially if they don't vote for him again. Well, you know the Ohioans aren't coming here anyway, so we've got a we've got a, a head start. That is true. We've got the Hatfields, uh, modern day Hatfields and McCoys between Ohio and Michigan. Uh, some might say you would need a fast car, which brings me back to the Grammys because Zing. king of the segue. Because Tracy Chapman came out and did fast car with the country guy. Oh. This guy brought Fast Car back into the thing, and I guess Tracy Chapman hadn't performed in 20 years, and I'm not going to lie, man. It was, I got a little emotional watching it. I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is great to see her. I kind of forgot how omnipresent she was at a certain point in my life with that song, and I guess there was, there's one or two more from that album. Do you all remember that period of time where it's just like, and maybe this goes back to our Billy Joel conversation where it was like my mom was listening to it all the time. <laughs> I wasn't a huge yeah. fan. It's it, Give Me One Reason to Stay Here, that song, right? That's the other one, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the other one. How does Fast Car go? Fast Car's like, you got a fast car. Oh, yeah. And I got a plan yeah. to yeah. get us out yeah. of here. I mean, we're gonna... I, I be- mean, that song is... Yeah, it's good. Is, is... I believe she's from my neck of the woods. She's from Somerville, Massachusetts, I think. Oh. I think so. I know a bunch of old musicians who remember F- her. Fast Car's a cover, no? Yeah. Well, Fast Car is her original song. It yeah, is? and there's a new cover this year. Is a new, new cover was like number one for like weeks and made her a, a shit ton of money. She hadn't performed in a while. She came out, played it with him. Just, I think, I mean, that song, you know, it's it's gotten, you know, people have kind of realized this year, like that's a really great song. I mean, it's just kind of there's not really a flaw in it. Maybe one day we'll talk about it here. But <laughs> she came out and did it. Joni Mitchell came out and performed like for the first time ever at the Grammys. 
And Joni Mitchell, I, I don't know, I was going to ask you guys, I've never been a huge fan. Like, I've tried getting into it. I don't really love her voice. So Clear the lane for John. Clear the I lane not, for John's I, Joni I, Mitchell it's such, a, it's such a controversial take. I do not like her at all. <laughs> and, and people I really respect really do love her, but I don't even know how to explain what... But her melodies are almost not melodies. So many of her songs just annoy me so much the way that she seems to... They don't feel like authentic, natural melodies, you know? She... She's trying to be too clever with the melodies, I, I think. There's definitely a lot of weird, funky chords right. in her songs. Right. You're not finding like a one four five right. in any Joni Mitchell song, which is not a, a good or a bad right. thing. It's just, right. I get what you're saying. I don't dislike her that much. I really don't even have that much of an opinion on her other than like her voice is kind of the block for me. I, I don't find it audibly pleasing, really. As as a side note, I just Googled Fast Car to see who the original songwriter was, and it said uh, Fast Car, song by Luke Combs. Is that the country guy you're talking about? <laughs> How dare they? So annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Jeff, wait, you didn't give us your Joni Mitchell take. Do you like yay or nay? Um, I think I lean a little bit more towards John, but I have to say what I've heard of her I don't love but I haven't taken, like, a big, open-hearted, like, clean look at her in a long time. Yeah, okay. And that segues into my last question for uh, Mr. Jeff Gross and Mr. John Chafransky, who have been wonderful uh, fill-in guest hosts for, for Neil while he's uh, moving to New Jersey. So thank you guys, first of all, for doing this. I really appreciate it. The last question I have is, do you have any shows that you're going to go see this year that you have planned for? I have a big answer. Just based on two hours ago when you told me you were going to ask, <laughs> I bought Rolling Stones tickets. No <laughs> shit. Oh, my goodness. That's great. First where, time. Where are you seeing them? Fenway Park. No, sorry. What am I saying? Foxwood. Fox, Foxborough. Fox, where the Patriots Foxborough. play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Pretty okay, good tickets, okay. too. Um, they were 200 bucks back rear... General admission. So center, back, I'm sure it'll be loud. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, look, man, I saw them. I was fortunate enough to oddly respond to a weird t- tweet that I saw years and years ago and and went to a secret surprise pop-up show of theirs at a small bar in LA <gasps> for $20. And it was... What? I, I, like, left the show just, like, banging my steering wheel, like, oh, my fucking God, that was amazing. Dude. When, when was, was that? So cool. Oh, my God, probably 2012. Wow. 2012, yeah. That, but, yeah. That's a dream come true. It, uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, Jeff, what about you? Any live shows you got planned this year? Yeah, I got a few. Actually, next weekend, or two weeks from tonight, we're doing uh, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit in chicago my wife and i gonna make Dude, a you were all of... in on the on the isbel i like yeah. it yeah it's definitely my favorite thing going right now and then i just on a whim my cousin texted me that the trey anastasio band is playing like really close to us here and i wouldn't necessarily have jumped on it except for the fact that it's in a really small venue like a less than thousand person venue so 
I thought that'd be pretty neat. I jumped on. I oh, was yeah. able to get tickets like pretty pretty close up, like the first five or six rows. So yeah, I thought it'd be pretty neat to see Trey up close. Uh, That's awesome. Don't know how many more chances there's going to be. Um, I actually am going to. I, I have three of my best, hopefully three of my best friends from high school that I'm still in touch with, uh, are going to come out to see Chris Stapleton at the Hollywood Bowl in oh. June. No shit. And then a couple. I'm gonna go see this band Waxahachie. If y'all don't know her, she's amazing. Uh, I'm gonna see her in May. And then I think this guy John Craigie, also very good. If you don't know him, but he does these pop up shows around L. A. Sometimes he has good solo music. But he's just like John Craigie does Revolver, and he's doing Rubber Soul. So I'm gonna get cool. I'm gonna get tickets to that at a really small room. He's got a great sound. He's just uh, a little a little folksy, but it's uh, he can he can get rocking sometimes. But on that note, since I brought up Folksy, you're listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. And this week we're uh, talking Folksy because we're talking the Pogues, a pair of brown eyes from their 1985 album, Rum, Sodomy, and the Lash. A Winston Churchill quote. Uh, written by Shane McGowan and produced by Elvis Costello and released on Still. so glad that in your segue into the Pogues, you said, because it was good that we were talking about folk music, because we're on the same page. Some people might not notice that it's folk music right away, but that is exactly what I love about it. I want to start the conversation by making two points. One is that I think Shane is one of the greatest lyricists of all time. The specific reason I have for that is... He is able to write songs that sound like old folk songs. I have this sort of theory that old folk songs that are anonymous authorship get so good over centuries because one word gets chipped off here, one line gets left off there, till you're left with a song that is just beautiful in its simplicity with every word in the right place, and it's left with only the bones of a mysterious sort of meaning left over. And some people like Shane are able to recapitulate that centuries-long process by which a folk song gets created all by themselves. That's the first point I want to make. The second point I want to start with is that I am in love with sort of the dual nature of the Pogues, the lightness and the darkness Nobody's going to be calling these guys pansies. They're clearly anarchists in their behavior. There is anger and aggression in their music. But there is not an ounce of cynicism in their attitude. And they are so romantically affectionate toward tradition. I find that dichotomy so special. Yeah, and one could argue that cynicism after social media, and it may be the cause, is like one of the biggest problems in in America, at least right now. What's your history with the Pogues and this song in particular? A guy I worked with at a restaurant told me about the Pogues. I'd never heard of them. He said, you have to hear them. He's, I was his manager, and he said, please give me permission to leave right now and go home during this shift and get this Pogue <laughs> CD. And he came in and he put on Rum, Sodomy, and the Lash. And the song that immediately struck me was the second song on that album, Old Main Drag. Yeah. Did you listen to that today? Yeah, I listened to the whole album yeah. today. 
And I had the immediate, I was in love, I was as in love with it in that moment as I am today. I just could not believe how perfect the lyrics were and how it sounded like it could have been 500 years old, but then he's dropping certain references that are clearly modern at the same time. And oh yeah, I just loved it. I had never heard the song before you picked it. It is somewhat of a rarity for this pod, but it, it, it happens occasionally. I definitely have an appreciation for it now after kind of immersing myself in it for the past week or so. I did not like it at first at all. I was like, I don't, I don't want to listen to this. But I would still say after, after it, it still doesn't necessarily draw me in. And I think, you know, like you said, the lyric is very good. And he's a really, really strong storyteller. I don't think that's arguable. The little riff in there that they do to kind of break it up in parts is is nice. I just don't love the musical arrangement of, of this band. And, you know, I tried to get past it, but I think, like I said with Joni Mitchell, like it's just a large enough barrier to, to really keep me from complete, like from loving the song, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if the, if the baseline is that you just don't really enjoy traditional Irish music, then it's going to be a pretty significant barrier because, I mean, I'm, I'm also leaning much closer to where John is. I'm so grateful to having discovered the Pogues. And to me, I, I think you land in a place with a lyricist that is so special that followers of his and fans of his, um, you know, utter his name in the same sentences as people like Bob Dylan, and I find that they are justified in doing so. We, we probably have to do some proper eulogizing of Shane as a person and like what he means to um, Ireland, but also how he found himself in a position where he's creating Irish folk music with like a punk bent. Well, or like how the punk punk scene comes into things. So, so hopefully we can go back to that. But he just has such a way with words. I, I just have to pull out a few phrases like to kind of make the point, right? So he says something like the, you say the trees, the wind was gently laughing, right? Like that's just a phrase that somebody doesn't come up with unless they're really a poet or something about He's describing a war scene, right? This bloody, deadly, disgusting war scene. And what does he say is, is screaming? Not the people, but the sky. The sky is screaming. Like, I mean... Yeah, that's, that's where the sound is. That, that is... The waves. Like, just a wild detail to pull out. That you, you, There just aren't that many music lyricists that have that kind of virtuosic word choice. this song the i do enjoy how the narrative and that this is in a lot of different songs of theirs i listened to a lot of them over the last week but the the narrator in this song is coming from a drunk perspective to say the least <laughs> <laughs> like a, a black out drunk perspective <laughs> yep and and we can wrap the the punk aesthetic in into this as well i mean that i think is clearly encapsulated solely by his vocal right i mean like the way he the this kind of drunken like whether he's drunk or not, the way he sings has a 
a passion to it, but it's almost like an ambivalent passion. That that's where that punk comes in. It's like he definitely means it, but you're not really sure if he like. I don't want to say he doesn't care, but there's just some aloofness to the to the delivery that gives you that punk aesthetic for me, and and even the delivery of some of the lines are flowing as if he's drunk and that's that's very nice well well, there's an ultimate irony and here some of the history is useful right so shane grows up in ireland and moves to england as a teenager because it's such a hard time to get on in ireland right john i've got this right more or less yes and it's a tough time to be irish in england right and he's also it's the mid early 80s and he's discovering things like the sex pistols and but it's it's hard to see it from this distance but even playing traditional irish music in the early 80s in london is like punk as fuck it's like so in your face to do that and then you know what else is punk as fuck is not having the lyrics be negative and be nihilistic and the lyrics aren't ambivalent at all right i I was not saying that no the lyrics are coming from a very i don't want to say dark but a very sad depressing place well, there's a great irony in the fact that one of the great lyricists of our time is an Olympic-level mumbler. <laughs> <laughs> and he literally probably was drunk off his ass when he recorded the song. Right. And when he wrote the song. And as Josh said, it's written from a drunk perspective. And he's a poet. But he can also write a song that every common Irish man wants to sing and understands. Yes, there's a certain sensitivity there that I don't think you find in a lot of, well, A, you're going to find when people are drunk that are going to relate to that because that's when men can, can really find their empathy and sensitivity, unfortunately, for a lot of men. But you don't find that in a lot of American music, really. That type of lyricism that's like, I am speaking to a deep well of sadness and empathy that I want you to relate to and really appreciate, which I, I don't know if, if me not being from Ireland can even appreciate it as much as like it would mean to somebody from there who knows the history, knows what he's talking about. I mean, this music is thousands of years old. I mean, Dublin as a city, I looked it up today, is, is like over a thousand years old. And this music has been there the whole time. But I'm curious, Josh, if it was just this song in particular, or if you found any songs on the album that you liked. Uh, I mean, Dirty Old Town yeah. was probably my favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. You know, the the one, the famous song about New York. Um, Fairy whatever, Tale you know, of New York. Yeah, yeah. Fairy Tale of New York is a good song. Uh, Rainy Night in Soho. Mm-hmm. I like uh, that. That's a cool tune. The album itself, because he's such a good lyricist, you have to pay attention to the lyric. And, you know, it's, he doesn't mumble. You can understand him as drunk as he is. But that again that the musical like i just can't listen to an hour of that music and and pay attention that hard i'm like give me one song i'll, I'll do it give me seven i'm i'm out at my song three i'm like okay i, I don't want to hear this fucking accordion and <laughs> you know I'm, I'm not you know i mean i'm from the south i'm not a i don't like zydeco music i don't like polka music you know I mean, it's just cajun that, yeah it just doesn't hit me right audibly so some curse, some pride, some pride, and curse, and pride, and bled some more, and they all. 
The other thing that makes it like from a drum perspective is that this narrator of this song is like hopping around from different scenes in his life. He, yes, he, he at first he's just telling you that he's sitting at a great opening line, uh, one summer evening drunk to hell. <laughs> It's yeah. great. Oh, yeah. It's great. But then all of a sudden, yeah, he's having like a flashback to a war scene. But then he's back in Ireland. And- yeah, so drunk to hell, I left the place, sometimes crawling, sometimes walking. I mean, those two lines to kind of book in the, the, the verses of the, of the yeah. song yeah. Are, are really nice to bring you back in. Because when I, when I was listening to it, I was like, wait, what? He's at war now? Like, right. what's happening here? And it also leads you to be like, Whose pair of brown eyes are these? It's, are they two, it's like two different sets of brown. It, right, it's both. Right, so but there's is it a God. Is it the Irish people? Like right, I, I don't. Right, know. right. What do you mean? What do you mean? Right. Which part of that was right? Well, it's two different <laughs> sets. It's it's all four sets of brown. Yes, it's God's brown eyes. Yes, it's all. So the are Irish you people. saying? It's you a, said there's four sets of brown eyes, or are you saying they were wearing glasses? <laughs> is it someone wearing glasses, John? <laughs> He's definitely referring to at least two pairs of brown eyes. One is a girlfriend that he had before he went to war, and the other is a metaphorical enemy from the war, which is now also just a metaphorical enemy that he sees everywhere he goes. Like, he's always fearing a fight with some guy. He's filled with hate in his heart at this point, and... I looked at so him. So how do we know this is the enemy and not one of his soldiers who fought beside him? Eyes that are haunting him at this point. Well, I, all I know is there's the line where he's, well, it could be that too, but he says, I looked at him, he looked at me, all I could do was hate him. That person, my friend in war, died in survivor's guilt. I mean, like, it, it could go mm-hmm. e- either either way. I mean, I feel like, even though he says hate, I, whoever's brown eyes, I do feel there is a love for the the person or entity with those brown eyes that's the feeling i got from from just the way he sings it the way the song goes musically i definitely think I one pair of the brown eyes is a girlfriend who left him and was not waiting for him when he returned there was no pair of brown eyes waiting for me and a rove and a rove and a rove and i'll go for a pair of brown eyes so he's trying to get back the girlfriend that he had before the war and Rovin, I guess, is just a, I'm searching? Is that like yeah, a Rome, synonym for searching? Yeah, roam around the country, roam around the countryside looking for a nice Irish girl. Oh, uh, because, yeah, because then in that, I looked at him, he looked at me. I saw the streams are rolling, like it takes him back where the brown eyes were waiting. Where his brown eyes and were then, waiting, right? And then I thought about a pair of brown eyes. That waited, that once, waited once for, for me. me. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Oh, so like seeing the enemy combatant reminds him of... The brown eyes waiting at home. The lyric is all about a loss of of yeah, something. Like I, I, sure. I never read into it that there was like an enemy that he was fighting against. It was a loss, something special to him, something that reminded him, and and everything reminds him of that, and that's why he is so plastered. A hungry sound came across the breeze, so I gave the walls a talking, and I heard the sounds of long ago, from the old canal. I feel like he has a moment of sublime appreciation of nature well yeah because the wind is laughing exactly exactly so do you think that this is an actual war scene or like a meta a metaphor the war scene is a metaphor for 
you know, the chaotic life, the chaotic relationship that he lost, etc. It's like a pastiche, a dreamlike pastiche of where it, it has like nine different images in it that are all extremely traditionally Irish. Love, violence, resentment, longing, home, nature. Yes. element you know i do think that the the song takes the place in a bar right the whole thing takes place in a bar because he's there's a jukebox somewhere because he's mentioning a johnny cash song uh he's mentioning a country song by uh lineman and philomena uh oh yeah that's that's a weird that's a weird line that and i think an important one actually that takes you kind of, you know, if you've ever read Joyce, like, you, he's just throwing references out there. He's like, I don't give a fuck if you know these or not. These are little nuggets that I'm putting in that are important to me, and you can go figure out what it is and go listen to these songs if you want. And that speaks to your point, John, of like, this is about a lover because those songs are specifically about <laughs> love. You know, I mean, he's, it, the songs specifically are Johnny Cash's A Thing Called Love and Ray Lynham and Philomena Begley's My Elusive Dreams, mm-hmm. uh, who were Irish country singers, which I, I actually saved that song to a playlist. It's great if you've never heard it. Um, that's a really good song. The Cash song is really cool, too. I had never heard that one either. But, you know, he's throwing these things out there that are telling you, like you said, like it's sad and there's loss, but, you know, there there is love in there that he's either missing or and if you know jeff like you were talking about you read about this guy's life he was obviously missing some love from somewhere maybe that's of himself or some people that fucked him over i don't know but i don't know that i would say this guy was this guy definitely had a crazy life but i don't think he wants anybody to feel sorry for him i and i think that he no i mean i i have to grant what you're saying yes there was something wrong with this man and he was <laughs> He he was troubled, but but he he was in such old school denial about his problems that it redeemed him. He 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 was married, loved his wife, loved his sister, loved his band, loved his music, was proud of his music, loved Ireland, and made no excuses for his behavior. Like he he did yeah, not so think of well, himself as an alcoholic, even though he was drunk every second of his life. Yeah, but it, it, just because he didn't think of himself as an alcoholic doesn't mean he wasn't an alcoholic. That's basically the definition of an alcoholic. <laughs> like, I'm not going to admit that I have a problem, you know I mean? <laughs> so basically what you're talking about, if you're looking at it from that perspective, it's self-love. There was a self-love that was missing with this guy. He, he was obviously a talented guy, and he was able to kind of bleed that out on paper. And, and Yeah, but I don't think he would have written the songs that he wrote if he didn't live exactly the way he lived. And I wouldn't have it any other way, and I don't think that he would have it any other way. That's part I'm of not what, saying that's part of what I think that, is so beautiful about this story, this character, Shane. I was talking to an Irish guy after he died, and I was going on kind of what we're talking about right now about how moving it is to me, how beloved this man is. He literally has three teeth in his mouth. Like he <laughs> looks like he looks like a homeless man, but oh, yeah. but he's a national treasure and it's not just of a, a niche punk rock audience the president of ireland was at his funeral 
Like, can, John, can you think of an analogy for like? No, what? I can't even think. I don't even think Americans would respond to Bob Dylan's death the same way no. that Irish people responded no, to Shane's death. I don't death. think they would either. They may have in like the eighties if it happened. You know, like now it's just like he's lived so long. You know, I mean, he'll be a. It'll be a big thing. But, well, you know. well, Shane Shane lived about fifteen years longer than anyone thought he would. So. <laughs> Surely, twenty five years. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the other thing, just to touch on, I mean, the other thing that makes this such an old timey thing is the melody as well. I mean, he based this off a. Of, a song called Wild Mountain Time by Francis McPeak, you know, and it, it's, if you look at it, I mean, it is, it is like a Hank Williams, Bob Dylan kind of, there's three chords in the song. It's just yeah. rinse and repeat and let me tell you the story. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's obvious, like, look, the most important part of this song is the story that the melody is nothing special. It's very common. It's very old. It comes from, that's the, that's the thing I think that's like hundreds of years old is yeah. like that, like th- th- this melody could have been played back then. I think the impressive thing that you were saying is this lyric could have also been saying back then and made sense, minus the you know references to you know you switch out the, the Jude Johnny Box, Cash right? Song exactly, something else. Yeah, yeah. Well, because that, uh, that, there were still pubs back then too. That, that's how I know for me that it's the lyrics that are so important because the melody, in a lot of senses, kind of writes it, writes itself, and I do enjoy the yeah. melody. It's like these the and I th- I think you're right that these kind of these types of melodic passages are, are just as old as our, as we can record. And, yeah. and so the uniqueness is, is, is in the lyric for sure. Well, and even Costello, you know, produced this, and he was only supposed to do a couple songs, which this was one of them uh, that he was originally supposed to do. And he was just like, look, I, was, I wanted to produce it because I didn't want to produce them. I just wanted to facilitate them and get this very unique acoustic sound that they had that nobody else was doing and get it down and it's as close to a live rendition of it as possible and you know i mean and they did a great job i mean you're talking about you know shane mcgowan as we mentioned on vocals spider stacy on tin whistle james fernley on accordion jim finer on banjo kate o'reardon in on bass andrew rankin on drums philip chevron on guitar henry ben a fiddle dick cuddle Cuthel, French horn, Tommy Keane on Yulian pipes. I mean, the amount of instruments on this song that are kind of coming at you. Again, not my favorite part of the song, but there's so much going on around this story. And, uh, you know, does it sa- I guess you need a simple melody. For does that, it sound maybe. busy to you, Josh? Uh, yes, it does. Mm. Because there's just so much. Like, you're used to hearing a song like this from, like, a Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, Bob Dylan perspective of, like, an acoustic, especially if you're doing a folksy thing. I mean, I get it if you throw an electric guitar on there, and then it's like, all right, let's, we're putting some volume on here. But it's a very acoustic song. But instead of just an acoustic guitar and him telling a cool story, it's all of, it's like this all a traditional kind of Irish folk uh, musical accompaniment with it that is, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's just not something I'm used to hearing folk songs with because, A, I probably just don't like Irish music. So I'm not searching those out. I agree with you, I think, about lots of traditional Irish music annoys me 
particularly when it's just fiddle over and over and over again, like meandering around and um, sometimes like a bagpipe type sound that's yeah, just like solo fit, going off. Flute. Right. It can get annoying. I think the Pogues sound a little bit more like a rock band, kind of an updated version of Irish music, which is what I like. Um, in this song, another thing I really like is the simplicity of the drums. They only had three drums. Shane told the drummer to not have cymbals. And for the whole album, I think, it's, it's, it's the guy's just pound. He stood up at their concerts and pounded on a tom and a snare. And he had like two toms and a snare. So it's a simple pounding drumming beat. Kind of has a bounce to it. I I think this song more than a lot of their other songs which are just straight 4/4s. Four this one kind of bum 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 bum. Yeah, I had Yeah, but I it's had not to a count. waltz, right? No, it's a, it's 4/4. No, four, four. I thought it, it might be a waltz. It's It's 4/4, four, right. four, but I had to okay. I had to count pretty carefully because it right. feels like a waltz. You can really right. easily like 1 2 3 1 2 3 1 2 3 right. 1 2 three. But it is it is 4 beats a bar. And that's the thing. I, the one thing musically I did enjoy was because it is it's kind of just marching along. Because at first I was like, "Wait, is this waltzing along or is it marching?" No, it's marching along. And and then they do break it up a couple times with that where they go to the four and they go boom. You know, so that I do like the little riff there that they I think they do it three times during the song to kind of break it up. It does just enough to kind of break up the monotony because uh, a lot of you know a lot of times like you know when you're talking about a Hank Williams song or it, it, it's pretty much three verses and you're out so you you don't really get tired of it because it's so short like this song isn't like that like he, he's got a lot to say kind of like Dylan uh, does with his it, it expands so you need something to break it up I do like what they came up with to do that as a matter of fact, I think I this had never occurred to me probably because I don't know enough about old Irish music, but I think that is what you were just referring to is um, an innovation in Irish music to have those riffs um, break up the song. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of where you uh, some some rock and roll is getting in, right? right. We, 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 let's let's put a riff in here, right? Yeah, and that's not something you're getting in traditional right. music, really, right. in general, right? Now, so I'll ask, we kind of all agree, like, the lyric is the most impressive, important part of the song. What is your, what is the line that sticks out the most to you, John? Hmm. The end of the song, I guess. So he says, so drunk to hell, I left the place, sometimes crawling, sometimes walking. A hung- <laughs> this is going to be more than one line. A hungry sound came across the breeze. So I gave the walls a talking, and I heard the sounds of long ago from the old canal, and the birds were whistling in the trees where the wind was gently laughing. I think all the, yeah. all the sorrow goes away at that point. I think this guy is drunk outside in the Irish countryside, and he's thinking the world looks beautiful at that point. I agree. That, I think, is the most beautiful set of lines. I would say that he's almost letting that history that was so, that gave him such a sense of loss in the previous part of the song kind of just letting it go, right? I don't know if it's hope, because then he goes back to, and a rove, and a rove. Well, that is <laughs> hope. That is hope when he says, and a rove, and I'll go. That means he hasn't given up on trying to find a girl. 
Okay, so you're looking at it as like, hey, he's gonna go find another pair of brown. I know eyes he's now. not. Like, he's I know he's not gonna, but he's he's he hasn't given. Yeah, he's up. gonna be back at that bar, <laughs> yes, fucking he here in the yes, fucking sky, yes, screaming the the next night, if yes, not yes, the next yes, lunch yes, time. You know, yes. he's an <laughs> eternal Irish searcher in that sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's my favorite verse as well. It it I think it would be pretty easy to isolate that and drop that into a uh, book of any famous poet and be convinced that uh, it was written by them. But I, I think this, the, the metaphor of the screaming sky that I mentioned earlier and just the unexpectedness of he's describing a blood and death scene, like literally talking about limbs. And then, I mean, the thing he describes as screaming is the sky. I just think that's so inventive. I also wonder, just last thought, but just because the Irish are known for being so rowdy and like, could this have just been a big bar brawl that like <laughs> that like started inside the bar and then ended up outside the bar? Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he maybe got concussed or knocked out, and then he wakes up. Right. And he's just I'm like, not sure I mean, the when... Irish are as as rowdy as the Boston Irish. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're over they're compensating because they're the ones who left. Yeah. Uh, or the descendants of them. <laughs> a quick fun fact this was uh their first song that charted we, i mean it was only 72 in, in the british uk 100 but that is a fun fact so that is fun yeah yeah uh <laughs> when we're having fun that means we're vibing so john it's your turn to bring us into the vibe time this week so are you ready yes to to bring us in to the vibe time in three two one <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely gonna pop. <laughs> it's actually, forgive me, forgive me. It's in two parts, but I was expecting a laugh after the first part. This we, is. We have to listen to you like fake vomit multiple again, times. Again, again, again. <sighs> <sighs> it's almost like the vibe of this song is the bliss that comes after. Throwing mm. up after the throw up, and where you can, you're like empty stomach. Yep. Time to go back in for a couple <laughs> more. Okay, I like it. I like it. All right, well, John, it's your song. When do you, when specifically do you want to hear a "Pair of Brown Eyes" by the Pogues? I hope that someday I am in an Irish bar somewhere that has a piano in it, and I start to play this song, and the entire bar joins in. Oh, nice. Okay, I like that. I like that. Um, Jeff, what about you? When, when specifically do you want to hear the song? Yeah, so I have a strange obsession with Ireland, despite having never been there. I'm not really sure what why I feel like such a connection to Ireland. I like read books about Ireland, and I like watch shows based in Ireland, and I took to the Pogues <laughs> kind of like right away. And I guess my wanting to hear it is more of a goal. I would really love to hear it in a pub in Ireland or, you know. Right on the cliffs of Moore. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I have been to Ireland and it's it's gorgeous and I, I do I would like to go back and go to Dublin. I, I didn't go to Dublin. I want to hear this on TV like for a famous Irish person's funeral. Mm. Like like whether it's it's like Van or The Edge. <laughs> one of, one of the few Irish people that I know of. <laughs> 
<laughs> just, just like the edge died, and it's like, oh, they're having the edge's funeral, and oh, a pair of brown eyes is on. That's that's great. No, they probably wouldn't, but and brown eyed girl, you know, Van Morrison, maybe just do them back to back, see see which one, see how that works. Although something tells me they would not fit together. And well, speaking of the Pogues in general, I feel like we've been under the influence the whole time. So let let's get there. I'll get us started here. As I said, like he definitely comes from from an American perspective. You look at him from like a Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie uh, line of storytellers. You know, that's kind of what he's doing. He's speaking for a people and about a people that want to be recognized, or that should be read, that deserve to be recognized, and and all too often aren't. Uh, a more recent example, and I'd be surprised if this band, if the Pogues did not influence this band, is the Drive By Truckers. I don't know if y'all know them, but just the way that they structure their songs is very similar to how he structures his do i know the formerly of jason isbell <laughs> drive-by truckers um that is true yeah so interesting true. tidbit i um on john's recommendation watched the documentary about shane gowan last week and there's a lot of interviews with his dad and his dad said that pretty much the only music he heard coming from his room was bob dylan and the grateful dead and he was like, because his dad wanted him to be a writer. He was like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. And then when I heard like pretty much Dylan and the dead coming through in his room, I knew he was going to produce art in a different, different way. He also recounts in that documentary the experience of, you know, moving to London and seeing the Sex Pistols. Right. But he also talks about like how nihilistic it was and how negative yeah. all the... Uh, the whole scene was in a certain way. So, I mean, they, it is this like great combination. I mean, it, we've kind of been through it a few different ways. It's like traditional Irish music, Bob Dylan, or you, you said the Woody Guthrie line and then the sex pistols or just like the, the yeah. London punk scene of the early eighties more broadly. I, I, you know, I, I think I watched a different documentary than you. There's one on Hulu that Johnny Depp produced called a crock of gold. Mm. Um, and I, I did watch that. And, and you know, it, it, like thinking about it and off something you just said, Jeff, something you said earlier, John, like he did seem like oddly a pretty happy guy, yeah. like happy-go-lucky guy. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't seem as lonely as some of these songs really kind of paint, paint him to be. Uh, which actually, if you watch the video, it's like in this weird like 1984 Margaret Thatcher, England, mm-hmm. uh, they're portraying, so... You know, maybe a lot of his stuff was just kind of a political take on what he was seeing and about other people. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, John, what about you? What, what influences do you see in this song? Or- um, you guys mentioned most, most of mine, although I want to draw out some points, which is that he loved the Sex Pistols. He says, you can tell that Johnny Rotten is so bloody Irish. He says that, and he loves Johnny, <laughs> Johnny Rotten. But also, the Grateful Dead also wrote lyrics about a sort of bygone American past in the same way that um, Shane does. Yeah. Yeah, right? But the funny thing is, like, when you say that, it's not like that. There, it's not like a Ronald Reagan, like, or I'm not even going to say Donald Trump because his Make America Great Again is just absolute horseshit. But, like, Reagan's whole, like, one day, like, America was great and people were great and everything was great back then. Like, they're not... He's not putting these people on a pedestal. He's, it's not like a nostalgic, like, oh, I wish we could go back to... He, it's just like a recognition of the past. Really. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
it's not like this was better. Oh, I wish we could go back to this. It, it's well, it's it's cult, it's culturally appreciative, you know. It's it not yeah. not um, politically appreciative, of course. It's paying homage, right? Yeah, and something. trying to keep something that you think is beautiful from that past alive, or at least being nostalgic for it in a in a, in, in in the best way, yeah. in the way that you know that that's where you come from. He he was also influenced by writers. You mentioned James Joyce. He loved James Joyce. He loved Brendan Behan. He loved um, all those great Irish writers from back in the day. Yeah, and I feel like there's just more of a focus. Like, if you grew up, I don't know if it's still like this in, like, Ireland, England, but, like, if you grew up at that time, like, you're just, and, and getting in a, because he did go to, like, a good boarding school. Like, the education he got, he was probably reading a lot of poetry and and gathering an appreciation for that kind of writing that i my education never gave me like i was never like oh my god poet yates and yeah well he was kicked out of school at like 14 but i'm sure yeah yeah, he was a genius and i think he read on his own all the time and um he also talks about when he was a kid all the stories that his irish relatives would tell him and um yeah not not coincidentally josh also started our conversation today by explaining that he reads all the time so. You know what? And you, and you and you know what I like to do when I'm reading? I like to be under the covers. So I think that's a perfect time for us uh, to go under the covers. Fucking pro. And talk about <laughs> <laughs> the covers of this song, uh, which I thought I would find none, but I did find a couple. But Jeff, let's let's let you start this off. Give us a cover that you heard that you liked or didn't. Yeah, like. I, I found them all pretty meh. I mean, there's a bunch of kind of like more modern Irish, like younger Irish bands doing it, and they're generally yeah. kind of overproduced, and I think a little bit maybe miss the point. Um, and they blend in; they all blend yeah, in. Yeah, and they all kind of sound the same. So I didn't really find a cover that I liked that much. I, I listened. Cat Power did a cover. Yeah, I heard which that. Was like, I don't, I don't love it. Like she does, like she harmonizes with herself the entire song. It's got a very different vibe. I do like. It's odd. She went for something. She kind of made it her own. So I do respect that. But it's it's not. I would never listen to it again. Right. Yeah, I agree. I appreciated the nod to Shane from Cat Power. Maybe that'll make some people Pogues fans, which that's cool. But I agree. I didn't really care for it too much. I like her voice though. Um, did you guys hear the Titus Andronicus version? I did. Yeah. I did. Which I, I didn't. It started yeah. off. Yeah, it started off better decent. than it. Yeah. Then it ended. Yes. <laughs> then it gets real punk. Right. 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 Okay, guys. Right. Enough. Right. Like you, you don't need to do this to this lyric, but you can definitely tell that that band has a strong appreciation. Yeah. For the punk, which is cool. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, there. There's a few covers in there. I would say I would say out of all of them, listen to the Cat Power one if you want to hear something that's just a little different. I will say I I knew that there wasn't going to be a standout cover for me, but. Cover is not the right word, but this is a pub song, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It is. Oh, yeah. So cover, if if a cover is a song that's recorded by another act that's put onto an album, uh, that's one thing. But to the extent that this song is meant to be sung by other people than the Pogues, I, um, Bruce Springsteen said when, when Shane died, he said something beautiful. He said... Um, you know, they'll probably forget most of us, you know, and he said us, including himself in, in, in that company. But I know, yeah. yeah, but 150 years from now, I know that people will be singing Shane's songs. That was what 
Yeah, that's, that's what cool. Bruce Springsteen said, which I think because I think he feels the same way I was saying, which is that it, his songs seem like they've already been being sung for 150 years. Yeah, that's cool. Nice. There, there, there you go. There you go, Springsteen, mm-hmm. the boss. Mm-hmm. Close it, closing it out for us. You know, when the, bo- <laughs> when the boss speaks, it's time to talk about shoes, guys. So, uh, John, it's your song. How does the shoe fit for the Pogues, A Pair of Brown Eyes? This is a pair of shoes that was made by a shoemaker, a real man who was a shoemaker. He a cobbler, a, 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 a true thank cobbler. Thank you, a cobbler, a true cobbler. He's now dead, so I will need to continue to make sure that these shoes are in good condition. But I will never trust another cobbler to take care of these shoes. So I am going to have to figure out my own way to take care of these shoes. You're going to make them your own. You're going to change, maybe change a little something here or there, but in a hundred years from now, you know, who knows where, where that, those shoes, those cobbled shoes. Thank you, Josh. You understand. Especially cobbled shoes. Will you be. understand. <laughs> uh, Jeff, what about you? How does the shoe fit? Josh, please insert knuckle cracking sound here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Josh's coaching. I think I'm ready to properly knock this out nice, once and for all nice, on my, nice. let's count it, sixth try. <laughs> <laughs> one for six isn't bad. One for six isn't yeah, bad. I don't know in what game one for six isn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> Cricket, maybe? Yeah, I, don't I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the rules to that game. Um, okay, so have you guys ever heard of the shoe brand Camper? It's like kind know. of a niche shoe brand that like, you know how a town will have like a shoe store, but they only sell like quality shoes. They own, and Camper is a shoe brand, a lesser known brand, but actually one of the best shoes that you could buy. And it has kind of like a history. It's like a hundred years old and it's like serious about the form, but like modernizing. So to me, Shane and the Pogues fit like a Camper because they're a little bit lesser known, but so high quality. When you slide into one, it just feels like something that's been worked on for a long, long time. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. There Thank you. you. There you go. There you go. There you go. Do I even need to do one this week? Uh, <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> but great job, guys. Yeah, bring, in, bring in heaters. Um, for me, this is like a beaten up pair of the Irish branded Dewberry Galway hunting boots. I may have really mispronounced those first two words, but they're they're fancy, you know. They're they're well crafted, but they're they're definitely worn in, and they're they're refined with an edge, you know. But it's like I have these, and I'm aimlessly walking in Ireland, drunkenly, you know. The wind is laughing as I step into a bog. And then they get stuck there as I exit the bog in my bare feet. That is how wow. this song fits. They get <laughs> and then I rove there. and I rove for a pair of Galway hunting boots. <laughs> uh, another pair. So on that note, uh, thank you guys for doing this. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, you guys were great. I like the songs that we did. And uh, our cover of The Pogues, A Pair of Brown Eyes. <sighs> Thank you.
One summer evening, drunk to hell, stood there nearly lifeless. An old man in the corner side where the water lilies grow. And on the jukebox, Johnny sang about a thing called love. And it's how a kid, and what's your name? How'd you buddy know? Blood and death neath the screaming sky lay down on the ground And the arms and legs of other men were scattered all around Some cursed, some prayed, some prayed, then cursed, then prayed and bled some more And the only thing that I could see was a pair of brown eyes that was looking at me when we got back, labeled parts one to three There was no pair of brown eyes waiting for me And I rove, and I rove, and I rove And I'll go for a pair of brown eyes I looked at him, he looked at me All I could do was hate him While Ray and Philomena sang of my elusive dream I saw the streams of rolling hills Where his brown eyes were waiting And I thought about a pair of brown eyes Waiting once for me so drunk to hell, I left the place sometimes crawling, sometimes walking. A hungry sound came across the breeze, so I gave the walls a talking. And I heard the sounds of long ago from the old canal. And the birds were whistling in the trees, where the wind was gently laughing. And a rove, and a rove, and a rove, and I'll go. And a rove, and a rove, and a rove, and I'll go. And a rove, and a rove, and a rove, and I'll go. For a pair of brown eyes. For a pair of brown eyes. The cover you just heard was performed by Josh Bond. Thanks for listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify or wherever you listen. If you'd like to communicate with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at Pod Gave Rock. 
Next week is Neil's week, and we will be discussing Overkill by Men at Work. Can't wait! <laughs> <laughs>